Well, uh, the, the last sentence of the book of Judges says this, in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And actually, that same exact verse is, is re- repeated in Judges 17, 6. So it's kind of a theme of the book of Judges. Now, we know that our story, which we're looking at the book of Ruth right now, takes place during that time. It says in the time of Judges. And, you know, the, the kind of time was each to his own, we would say, or make your own truth or follow your own heart, or there's no absolutes. It's just kind of whatever you want to do, just do it. And in case you're wondering, that philosophy didn't turn out too well if you've read the book of Judges. <laughs> you should. It, you'll see that it was not beautiful. That philosophy lived out as a nation. It's not a great story. Um, but our story is interesting. It takes place during the middle of all this. And if you've just joined us, the story is this, that there's this guy named Elimelech, just this everyday guy. And he takes his wife, Naomi, and their two sons, and they move to the neighboring country of Moab because there's a famine. And, um, you know, no one's really judging him because that they didn't really do that then, you know, so it's like he just did and it was fine. It was what it was. And he dies. And then his two sons marry Moabite women because that's where they are. And these two girls, so Orpah and Ruth are their names. And they're these two nice Moabite girls. And uh, eventually the two sons die as well. And so Naomi is left uh, with no husband and no sons and no grandchildren either. There were no children out of either of those marriages. And so she's kind of bitter and disappointed about life and her God, Yahweh, uh, you know, has kind of let her down, it seems. And so she decides she's going to return home to Israel. And when she does that, the two uh, widows, the two wives of her sons want to come along. And so uh, Orpah is convinced by Naomi not to come. She says, you know, don't come. There's no prospects for you. I'm destitute. You know, it's not going to be a good situation. You have no one to marry. Just go back to your own town. And so Orpah does. But uh, Ruth, the other one, doesn't. She says this amazing, uh, she makes this amazing oath. And, And what she says is, where you go, I will go. And your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. And where you die, there will I be buried. And it's, you know, people have quoted it. Lots of people have quoted it. It's this amazing statement of devotion and commitment that Ruth makes. And so Naomi takes her along and they, they go back to Israel and Ruth gets this job, um, like a job for kind of poor people that she's just going to gather the, the harvest after the workers, you know, whatever's left over. And it just so happens, just so happens that she ends up in a field that belongs to Boaz and Boaz is a guy who's related to Naomi and he's the He's the guardian redeemer, one of them in the family. And so it's his job to kind of care for the family. And so, uh, so he notices Ruth immediately and finds out who she is, that she's with Naomi. And uh, he gives her all this favor. He tells his workers to drop weed around her and stuff so she can gather lots. And uh, he offers her protection so no one will take advantage of her. And he tells her, you know, work in my fields and I'll take care of you. I'll kind of watch out for you. And uh, immediately Naomi's on this. She, she's like, oh, 
I think he, you know, he likes you like, okay, let's, let's set this up, you know, the matchmaker. And so she gets Ruth to dress up and to go propose to Boaz, which is an amazing, you got, that was, that was last week. You should have been here. And, um, and she does propose and Boaz says, you know, that he's willing to marry her as a guardian redeemer of the family, but there's another guy with a, with a claim. And so that's a problem, you know, he's willing, but there's this problem. And, uh, and that's kind of where we're at in our story. So it's really awesome. We have one more chapter left today, but, but really like, if you look at all these characters, you've got like hungry people, you've got bitter people, you've got desperate people, longing people, needy people, and maybe you can relate to them. Maybe they seem kind of just about as ordinary as you or me They're They are ordinary on the surface. I mean, they feel things like we do. They feel doubt and they struggle and they experience pain and loss and they grieve. And they also are resilient and they show courage and bravery at times and they long for love. And they also have a hard time seeing what God is doing, just like we do a lot of the time. There are these moments where they glimpse it and you see them glimpse it. And then, you know, that the faithful love of God, they can see it and then they're not sure maybe, or they're doing stuff. And, and it will be generations before they actually know just how faithful God was being in this story. And that's where we get to today. So I'm going to read chapter four today. So it's 22 verses. So don't be daunted by the word chapter, but if you have your Bible with you, you could read along in your own Bible. I'm reading the NIV translation. So, um, or you can listen, it's up to you. Uh, here we go. So Boaz is going to kind of check things out with this other redeemer, this other guardian redeemer. Chapter four. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. And then he said to the guardian redeemer, uh, Naomi has come back from Moab. Uh, she's selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I'm next in line. I will redeem it, said he said, just like that. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, no, I, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. It was a clever way to, to present it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And then he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. 
And then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who, who together built up the family of Israel. May, may you have standing in Ephrathah and, and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he be, become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the line, family line of Perez. Perez, who is the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Solomon, Solomon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. The end. That's the book of Ruth. And our big idea this morning is this, that God has been faithful to all generations in providing a willing redeemer. We all need something. We all need something. I went to see my surgeon last Friday and uh, actually he retired. So it wasn't my, my original surgeon. It was the new surgeon that's going to walk with me. She's a lot younger and she's going to journey with me throughout the next part of my, my surgery story, I guess. And, uh, and it was interesting that both going to x-rays and then sitting in the waiting room, which is the same waiting room as my other surgeon, uh, all these memories, repressed memories came back. Like I've been pushing them down. And so these, these different memories come back to mind. And one of them was uh, of desperation, this feeling of desperation, even though it was 15 years ago, uh, the pain and the hopelessness of my situation are still very present. It's like they're kind of hovering in that room and I go in there and I feel again the pain and the desperation of my situation. Those two rebellious hips that I had that refused to respond to my mind saying, there isn't a problem. Why are you causing inflammation over and over and over? And, and it was arthritis in case you don't know my story, but, um, and to the point where I couldn't walk anymore. And I still remember going in to see my specialist and, and he said, you know, you have the mobility of a 90 year old woman. I don't even know how you walked in here on your two legs. And uh, that's how bad it actually was. <laughs> still, I made it look okay. But, um, and then also this feeling of disappointment that came even after I had double hip replacement surgery, I, I felt disappointed. I felt disappointed because God didn't heal me the way I thought he would. He didn't do it the way I wanted him to do it. Instead, he healed me with the 20-year lifespan. So I'm, I, I'm on a clock. And I didn't, I, I wanted him to heal me completely without surgery. And instead, I had this kind of 20-year lifespan with depreciating percentages in future surgeries, which bothered me. You know, it, it took me a long time. Now I can appreciate the miracle of it, that it is and was a miracle. 
In fact, when I saw my surgeon, my new surgeon, she looked at the x-ray and she said, I can't see any sign of wear at all on your hips. In fact, these hips might go another five years or 10 years more than, than their, you know, than the number on them because uh, they look so good. And these are kind of the newer kind of hip and they, they do last longer. So, so that was a blessing, a miracle, but you know, uh, all that reminds me of how humans are that we're needy, that we have these emotions that go up and down. We have anxieties and worries and fears. And we have, you know, even the very best of us feel this way, whether we show it, people show it or not, but like we, we all experience these things that we need. As we look at this story, uh, history in the rear view, it's always easy for us, maybe you or me will balk or resist a story that has two widows who are forced to beg for scraps in a patriarchal society. Maybe that bothers you. Maybe it grates on you a little bit about needing a man to come and save the day or, you know, and who's going to end up buying land and a wife in a city gate transaction with sandals flying around. Like, it just seems like maybe that bothers you. And so I'll just invite you along with me, you know, we can, if we could just suspend our feminist anger there, you know, about that part of the story and, and hear the story. So just pause, pause any emotion that comes about that and just hear the story. This is a story about a woman. It's about a woman, Naomi, who, who loses everything. She loses everything and she changes her name to bitter. And she says, God is against me. That's how she feels. She can barely see the miraculous provision of Ruth, her devotion coming and how the favor comes in provision, like actual provision, like grain and food for them. And she, either way, she needs a redeemer. Her, her family line is broken and her land is in hawk. She, she's in trouble. She needs a redeemer is what she needs. You know, commentaries will debate about the land issue, you know, whether Elimelech sold it when he moved. And so this is the problem now, or whether Naomi's in fact, actually selling her rights to the land. She doesn't, she doesn't have the same claim on it, but she has a right to it as a family member. And so, you know, they'll discuss all that, but it doesn't really matter in the end. The truth is that there's rules and regulations and she in her situation needs someone else to come and fix it. A redeemer. Uh, someone who can repair the broken line, someone who can bring beauty out of the ashes of her story, who could resurrect the dead, so to speak, someone who could buy back what's been stolen. And like Naomi, we all need something. All of us need something. We're born into a world of death and slavery. And so we see it and feel it all around us all the time. And we experience it, you know, in all sorts of ways. So my invitation is, is that we bring our disappointment bring your grief, bring your God is against me, bring your desperation and your loneliness, bring your hunger and your need, just like the people in this story. And hear the news that there is a redeemer, someone who bought you back, someone who set you free and restored what was broken and who promises a new hope. Now we're going to go into discussion and the, the question we're going to discuss is this. It's not really a question today. It's more and identify. I'd like you to try to identify and share a need that you're experiencing right now. Now, 
I know that we could say like, I need $20 for this situation, or I need a hundred, you know, like you could say a, a very specific kind of need. And I was thinking more of like, like broader. So, you know, maybe that feels less personal and easier to, to share with, with the people in your group. But I'm thinking of um, a need like, you know, I feel like I need security right now, or I need provision, you could say, or connection maybe is a need or stability or uh, meaning in uh, em- in the emptiness or something. So I- I'm thinking broader, but so you can choose how you sh- how you respond. But so the thing is to identify and share a need that you're experiencing right now this week that you could say, oh, I, I feel like I kind of need this, some stability, or I need, you know, some meaning or, or whatever it might be. And we'll see you back here in a few minutes. Okay, well, so we all have a need. There's, you know, different needs we have, but definitely we are, we need something, you know, as people. And the story tells of a willing redeemer. So I know in our family, uh, we have a big family, so there's five kids. So in our family, there's always stuff that needs to be done. And, uh, you know, whether it's like messes need to be cleaned up and, you know, the more people you have making messes, the more it seems like it multiplies or food that needs to be brought up from the basement. We have a downstairs fridge or a pantry. So, you know, oh, go grab the milk. Can someone grab the milk or, or toilet paper for John? No, who's writing that? Um, groceries need to be brought in. Chores need to be done. There's just, there's, there's always something that needs to be done. And I've noticed that I don't react well to begrudging helpers. So people, you know, if I say, hey, can you help me do this? And they're like, fine. It's like right away, this thing comes up and or like people are like, I did it last time. I can't see it. Like, can't Gabe do it or can't my yell do it or whoever. It's like, you know, someone else's name, you know, not me. I just did it. And there's the thing that rises up in me, like right away, you're going to get like a dad lecture or maybe I'm going to start threatening that I'm not going to help you then because we're helping each other. And like I go into this whole thing about helping and why, you know, and, and still they might help and not be happy. And it bothers me. You know, uh, commentators aren't sure why in our story that re- the other guardian redeemer doesn't step up. They're not sure. And he mentions his inheritance and, you know, inheritance. We don't know whether it's costly or complicated. You know, some, some of them suggested maybe he's not very wealthy. And so taking on another family, which is what that would mean, you know, having Ruth and Naomi and another child and like raising another family, maybe he couldn't afford it. And that's the problem. Whatever the, the issue, you know, at the heart of it is he's unwilling. He's unwilling to step up and do the job of redeemer. Now, uh, Boaz calls him friend. I don't know if you noticed that, but, um, but the other guy doesn't get a name in the story. And the word that's translated friend, so in the NIV, it's friend. Boaz says, hey, friend, come over here. But like, he knows the guy's name, but there's no name mentioned. And actually that word in Hebrew is like, um, it would be translated, you could translate it such and such or a certain one, or like maybe like Mr. So-and-so. It'd be like, hey, Mr. So-and-so, come here. Or Mr. No-name. Like purposely, his name has been left out because he was unwilling. So the narrator's like, you don't even get your name mentioned because you were unwilling. But there is a willing redeemer. And this word redeem or redeemer, this uh, it's a, in the Hebrew, it's ga'al. Uh, it's to redeem or to act as a kinsman redeemer or guardian redeemer, to avenge, to revenge, 
or to ransom. And it has two meanings to it. The one meaning is to do with people. So this idea of a guardian redeemer or a kinsman redeemer, someone in your family who does this job of caring for the family. And what it meant was um, it would be like, we talked about it, um, leveret marriage, or I call it levirate the other day, but it was, it's leveret marriage. And it's that idea of like, if your brother dies, his, his widow, you should marry his widow and have a child that would continue your brother's family line. And it like is totally weird to us, but it was totally normal to them. And that would be one of the ways you could redeem someone in your family. You could, you could have a child for your dead relative. Or you could redeem them from slavery. Maybe they had to sell themselves into slavery to pay for something. And your your job as the redeemer would be to go and pay for them to get out of slavery. Or maybe it's to redeem land that was sold for money, family land. Or it could be to exact vengeance, to right a wrong for the family. Or to redeem by paying something. Now, that's the one meaning. The other meaning is, is... is often to do with God as the redeemer. That's the other kind of example. So God is the subject. He's the one redeeming. So he redeems individuals from death. He redeems his people from Egypt when they're in slavery. He buys, you know, buys them out. Or um, Israel from exile when they're off in exile in, in oppressed nations and they get spread out everywhere. God redeems them. You know, no, no matter how you look at it, a redeemer pays. That's the picture of redeeming. It's, a, it's the ransom you pay. It's, it's buying back. That's what the word means. There's a transaction that happens. And there's the guardian redeemer. So these people who act for their family who do this. But God is the other example. Yahweh, this willing redeemer who rescues his people repeatedly. Rescuing his people. Buying them out of slavery or from bondage. And this is what they call him in Isaiah 47, verse four. It says, our redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name. It's this name we give him, redeemer. He is the holy one of Israel. This God who would come himself to pay our ransom, to redeem us. That's the story of Jesus. He's a willing redeemer, a a willing sacrifice. He's come to pay the price and he's willing. So there's, you know, verses where it talks about Jesus could have called down the legions of angels. He could have stopped the suffering and the pain of his experience. He could have said, I'm done. But instead, he went through with it. He was willing. Um, Hebrews describes it this way. Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. He was willing because of the joy of knowing that we would be set free. Jesus is a willing redeemer. He's the one who suffered and he died so that we could be whole and healed and saved. And just like Boaz, he's also, Jesus is also pictured as a groom. Boaz is the groom, he's redeemer, and he's a groom. And, and Jesus is as well. He's pictured as the, as the groom, and, and the church is the bride. So we have this beautiful picture of, of this story that we see Jesus in. So my second question, as you go to your discussion group, is this. What would change for you if you knew without any doubt or you believed with all of your heart that God was a willing help? We'll go to group. So we all have a need. We all have many needs, really. And uh, we have a willing redeemer. 
And the third thing we see in this story is that we can't see everything. We can't see everything. And it's so evidenced in the story. I mean, in a good movie, you, you, we want that. We want to have a, a surprise ending or some kind of twist. You know, we like, most of us like movies with a twist. If it's a thriller movie or story, it's like the whole movie, you're like, okay, what's going to, what's happening? I don't totally know. And then you get to the end and you're hoping in a good thriller, you would hope for like a big twist around where you're like, oh my goodness, that's what's happening. Everything is not as it seemed. And, and at the end of it, you want to go back and watch the whole thing again, because then you want to see what was actually happening. All the little moments. There's been a bunch of movies recently, a director like Christopher Nolan does that. He like has all these twists and then you're like, oh my goodness. And you need to go back and see what was all happening. And then you notice all the little things. And the same thing is true of our story. The, the very last line of the book of Ruth is the twist ending. This is what it says. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David. Boom. Yeah. Get it? Period. The end. David. Some of you are like, David, I don't know David. What are you talking about? You know, David, the son of Jesse. Don't know, don't know who's who's David the son of Jesse. David the son of Jesse, like David, the greatest king in Israel's history, arguably the greatest king, the one who slew Goliath, the one who's a man after God's heart. That David, like the most famous king in Israel, the one they always talk about, the one whose whose throne will endure and his line will go on forever. That David, and the reason. His line goes on and endures forever is because David is the ancestor of Jesus, King of Kings, the willing redeemer. And the narrator of the book of Ruth, the one who's, who's presenting this story, does it with a twist at the end. These randomly selected people that you kind of like, Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, who are these people? And why is there a love story in the middle of the Bible? And like, what are these... Who are these? They don't even do anything like amazing. What are these people? And what's this story here for? And you get to the end and that's where it like punches you in the stomach. It's like, there it is. They might never have seen it. You know, it's like the story that's being written about their lives is that David comes from them and Jesus from David. This is the line and this is the story. And the people at the end of the story who are celebrating the birth of this baby, they bring up Perez and Tamar. Those names, maybe you heard those, like a bunch of that stuff at the end. You're like, I don't know who all these people are. You know, Perez and Tamar, that was a whole sordid story that you should read, you know, with parental guidance in the Bible. But, you know, it's there and it's, it's a very fitting reference because Perez and Tamar was a story similar in some ways to this in that, um, Perez is the ancestor of Boaz. So it's like someone in the family line and Tamar had baby Perez with a surrogate dad, Judah. This, this is what happened. And the family line continued because someone else stepped in. So you should read the story if you want to hear it, but her husband died and Judah steps in and there's a baby from it and it's Perez. And then the line goes on for generations. Now, now, maybe you'll notice if you're really into this kind of ancestry thing that there's not enough people mentioned in this generation line at the end for the number of generations between Perez and David. And so commentators will tell you 
this isn't supposed to be like the end all be all genealogy where, you know, everyone's mentioned, it's supposed to just give you an idea. So they meant there's 10 names or whatever, 10 generations, but it's like actually a lot further. It's from, you know, Perez to David is from 1885 BC to probably 1040 BC. So it's like, it's a big span and there's probably more names in there. But the point is that they couldn't see it. They couldn't see that God is working, that he's bringing beauty from the ashes, that he's redeeming what's broken and turning evil into good and making something from the damage done from sin. And this is our hope that God, the redeeming God, will come again to make all things new, to make everything new, to complete the work he started. You know, what's amazing is that the person who wrote this story wouldn't have even known that they weren't just talking about David, they were talking about Jesus. So they didn't even see just how far-reaching the story goes and how much God was doing through it, this beautiful tapestry. And so in conclusion, God has been faithful to all generations in providing a willing redeemer. These people are like us. They are needy like we are. They have needs. This Naomi who gives up, who's depressed, disappointed, and bitter. Ruth who's like would give everything for meaning in her life. Boaz who's looking for love and companionship. All these human people have needs. And we need redemption is the greatest need we have. The picture is a transaction that's made. That we are bought from slavery. That we're bought from debt that were saved and redeemed by someone who's willing to step in and do what we couldn't do. In our case, it's Jesus who gave everything so that we could be free. And we can't see it all. We can't see it all. The, the twist end reminds us that, that we can't see it. The, even the narrator doesn't know who they're actually talking about. They mentioned David, but it's Jesus. We know now it's Jesus. That's the unbroken line. And hindsight helps us to see that God is always working, always here redeeming and restoring and resurrecting. And this is good news. This is good news. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for this book of Ruth that um, is actually often overlooked because um, maybe it's not epic enough. Maybe it's not uh, action-packed enough. Uh, maybe we don't understand it very well. And so we kind of pass it over. And I thank you that in this COVID time when uh, we all maybe feel very human and ordinary, and maybe like our lives aren't that action packed, that we need this reminder that you are faithful, that you're always working. And even when we can't see it, you're working and that you care about us and you know our needs and that you came willingly to give yourself so that we could be restored. And, uh, and so we're grateful this morning, Jesus. Would you help our hearts to, to hear this news and understand it and to be transformed by it every day? Amen.